0: 1. The Prediction Machine. How your beliefs shape your reality. It was just a few nights before Christmas, and the drones seemed to be everywhere and nowhere at the same time. The drama began at 9 pm on the 19th of December 2018, when a security officer at London Gatwick Airport reported two unmanned aerial vehicles one flying around the perimeter fence another inside the complex. The runway was soon closed for fear of an impending terrorist attack. It was only 19 months after the Islamist bombing at the Manchester Arena, after all, and there had been reports that ISIS were planning to carry explosives on commercial drones. The chaos escalated over the following 30 hours, as dozens of further sightings kept the airport in lockdown. Try as they might, however, the security officers and police just couldn't locate the drones, which seemed to disappear as soon as they were sighted. Even more astonishingly, their operators appeared to have found a way to avoid the military's track-and-disable system, which was unable to detect any unusual activity in the area, despite a total of 170 reported sightings. The news soon spread to the international media, who warned that similar attacks might occur in other countries. By 6 a.m. on the 21st of December, The threat finally seemed to have passed, and the airport reopened for business. Whoever was behind the attack, be it a terrorist or a joker, had achieved their aim of chaos, disrupting the travels of 140,000 passengers with the cancellation of more than 1,000 flights. Despite offering a substantial reward, the police have been completely unable to find a culprit. There is not a single photo offering evidence of an attack, leading some... Including members of the police, to question whether there were ever any drones at all. Even if there was, at one point, a drone near the airport, it's clear that the vast majority of the sightings were false, and the ensuing chaos was almost certainly unnecessary. With so many independent reports from dozens of sources, we can easily rule out the possibility that this was some kind of lie or conspiracy. Instead, the event demonstrates the power of expectation to change our perception and, occasionally, to create a vision of something that is entirely false. According to an increasing number of neuroscientists, the brain is a prediction machine that constructs an elaborate simulation of the world based as much on its expectations and previous experiences as the raw data hitting the senses. For most people, most of the time, These simulations coincide with objective reality, but they can sometimes stray far from what is actually in the physical world. Knowledge of the prediction machine can explain everything from ghost sightings to disastrously bad calls by sports referees and the mysterious appearance of non-existent drones in the winter sky. It can help us to understand why the brand name of a beer can change its taste and it shows how, to someone with a phobia, The world looks much more terrifying than it really is. This grand new unifying theory of the brain also sets the stage for all the expectation effects that we'll examine in this book. The art of seeing The seeds of this extraordinary conception of the brain were sown in the mid-19th century by the German polymath Hermann von Helmholtz. Studying the anatomy of the eyeball, he realised the patterns of light hitting the retina would be too confusing to enable us to recognise what is around us. The 3D world, with objects at various distances and odd angles, has been flattened onto two two two-dimensional disks, resulting in obscured and overlapping contours that would be difficult to interpret. And even the same object may reflect very different colours depending on the light source. If you were reading this as a physical book indoors at dusk, for example, the page will be reflecting less light than a dark grey page in direct sunlight, yet in both cases they look distinctly white. Helmholtz suggested that the brain draws on past experiences to tidy up the visual mess and to come up with the best possible interpretation of what it receives through a process that he called unconscious inference. We may think we are seeing the world unfiltered, But vision is really forged in the dark background of the mind, he proposed, based on what it assumes is most likely to be in front of you. Helmholtz's theories of optics influenced post-impressionist artists like Georges Seurat, but it was only in the 1990s that the idea really started to take off in neuroscience, with signs that the brain's predictions influence every stage of visual processing. Before you walk into a room, your brain has already built many simulations of what might be there, which it then compares with what it actually encounters. At some points, the predictions may need retuning to better fit the data from the retina. At others, the brain's confidence in its predictions may be so strong that it chooses to discount some signals while accentuating others. Over numerous repetitions of this process, the brain arrives at a best guess of the scene. As Moshe Barh, A neuroscientist at the Bar-Ilan University in Israel who has led much of this work puts it, we see what we predict rather than what's out there. A wealth of evidence now supports this hypothesis, right down to the brain's anatomy. If you look at the wiring of the visual cortex at the back of the head, you find that the nerves bringing electrical signals from the retina are vastly outnumbered by the neural connections feeding in predictions from other regions of the brain. In terms of the data it provides, the eye is a relatively small, but admittedly essential element of your vision, while the rest of what you see is created in the dark within your skull. By measuring the brain's electrical activity, neuroscientists like Barr can watch the effects of our predictions in real time. He has observed, for instance, the passing of signals from frontal regions of the brain, which are involved in the formation of expectations, back into the visual cortex at the earliest stages of visual processing, long before the image pops into our consciousness. There are lots of good reasons why we might have evolved to see the world in this way. For one thing, the use of predictions to guide vision helps the brain to cut down the amount of sensory information it actually processes, so that it can focus on the most important details, the things that are most surprising, and which do not fit its current simulations. As Helmholtz originally noted, the brain's reliance on prediction can also help us to deal with incredible ambiguity. If you look at figure one in the accompanying reference material, a real, albeit poor quality, bleached photograph, you will probably struggle to identify anything recognisable. If I tell you to look for a cow, however, facing you, with its large head towards the left of the image, you may find that something somehow clicks and the image suddenly makes a lot more sense. If so, you've just experienced your brain's predictive processing retuning its mental models to make use of additional knowledge, transforming the picture into something meaningful. Well, what do you see when you look at figure 2a? Try for at least 10 seconds before going on. If you're like me, you will initially find it extremely hard to make out anything specific. What if I tell you it's a popular pet? If you're still struggling to make it out, refer to figure 2b on page 3 of the accompanying reference material. It should now become a lot clearer. That's your brain's updated predictions suddenly making sense of the mess. Once you've seen it, it's almost impossible to believe that you were ever confused by the image, and the effect of those updated predictions is enduring. Even if you return to this image in a year's time, You'll be much more likely to make sense of it than when you first saw the incomprehensible splodges of black and white. The brain will draw on any contextual information it can to refine its predictions, with immediate consequences for what we see. If you've seen the picture in a pet shop or a veterinary surgeon's office, you may have been far more likely to have seen the dog at first glance. Even the time of year can determine how your brain processes ambiguous sights. A pair of Swiss scientists, for example, stood at the main entrance of Zurich Zoo and asked participants what they saw when looking at a version of a famously ambiguous visual illusion. Please refer to figure 3 in the reference material. In October, around 90% of the zoo visitors reported seeing a bird looking to the left. At Easter, however, that dropped to 20%, while the vast majority saw it as a rabbit looking to the right. Of children under ten, for whom the Easter bunny may be an especially important figure, nearly 100% saw a rabbit on the holiday weekend. The prediction machine had weighed up which potential interpretation of the ambiguous picture was most relevant, and the season managed to tip the balance, with a tangible effect on people's conscious visual experience. We now know that the top-down influence of the brain's expectations is not limited to vision, but governs all kinds of sensory perception and it is incredibly effective. Suppose you were driving on a misty day. If you are familiar with the route, your previous experiences will help your brain to make out the sight of a road sign or another car so that you avoid having an accident. Or imagine you are trying to work out the meaning of someone's words on a crackly telephone line. This will be much easier if you are already familiar with the accent and cadences of the speaker's voice, thanks to the prediction machine. By predicting the effects of our movements, the brain can damp down the feeling of touch when one part of our body makes contact with another so that we don't jump out of our skin whenever one of our legs brushes against the other or our arm touches our side. It is also for this very reason that we can't tickle ourselves. Errors in people's internal simulations might also explain why amputees still often feel pain in their missing limbs. The brain hasn't fully updated its map of the body, and erroneously predicts that the arm or limb is in great distress. There will inevitably be some small errors in each of the brain's simulations of the world around us, a mistaken object or a misheard sentence that is soon corrected. Occasionally, however, those simulations can go completely awry, with heightened expectations evoking vivid illusions of things that do not exist in the real world, such as drones flying over the UK's second biggest airport. In one brilliant demonstration of this possibility, participants were asked to watch a screen of random grey dots, like the snow on an untuned analogue TV. With a suitable suggestion, they could be primed to see faces in 34% of trials, even though there was nothing there, apart from random visual noise. The expectation that a face would appear led the brain to sharpen certain patterns of pixels in the sea of grey, leading people to hallucinate a meaningful image with astonishing frequency. What's more, brain scans showed the brain forming these hallucinations in real time, with the participants demonstrating heightened neural activity in the regions normally associated with face perception. Clearly, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Believing is also hearing. Dutch researchers told some students that they might be able to hear a very faint rendition of White Christmas by Bing Crosby embedded in a recording of white noise. Despite the fact that, objectively, there was not a hint of music, nearly one-third of participants reported that they could really hear the song. The implanted belief about what they were about to hear led the students' brains to process the white noise differently, accentuating some elements while muting others, until they hallucinated the sound of Crosby singing. Interestingly, a follow-up study found that auditory hallucinations of this kind are more common when we feel stressed and have consumed caffeine, which is thought to be a mildly hallucinogenic substance, and may lead the brain to place more confidence in its predictions. If we cast our minds back to those officers at Gatwick, it's easy to imagine how fears of an impending terrorist attack could conjure up the image of a drone in the grey blanket of the winter sky, where there might be many ambiguous figures birds or helicopters, for example, that the prediction machine is liable to misinterpret. And the more sightings that were reported, the more people would have expected to see further drones. Had scientists been able to peer into their brains, it is likely that they would have observed exactly the same brain activity as someone looking at an actual drone. Momentary hallucinations of this kind can result from the prediction machine's errors in countless other situations strange visions are apparently common among polar explorers for example as the unchanging blankness of the landscape the white darkness as some describe it plays havoc with the prediction machine simulations one of the most memorable examples of this phenomenon concerns roald amundsen's expedition to antarctica on the 13th of december 1911 amundsen's team was within spitting distance of the pole and dreaded the thought that Robert Falcon Scott's competing expedition might beat them to their goal. As they made up camp, one of Amundsen's group, Sverre Helge Hassel, called out that he had spotted people moving in the distance. Soon the whole team could see them. When the explorers ran forward, however, they soon discovered that it was simply a pile of their own dog's turds lying on the snow. The explorers' minds had transformed a pile of faeces into the thing they feared. Many supposedly paranormal experiences may arise through a similar process. When a fire broke out at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris on the 15th of April 2019, for example, a number of eyewitnesses reported seeing the form of Jesus in the flames. Some assumed it was a sign of God's disapproval at the turn of events, others that he was trying to offer comfort to those affected by the damage. But scientists would argue that it was the observer's underlying beliefs that led their brains to construct something meaningful from ambiguous patterns of light. Whenever someone claims to have seen a ghost, or to have heard the voices of the undead in the static of an untuned radio, or to have seen an image of Elvis in the clouds, the overreactive prediction machine may be to blame. These phenomena are all natural consequences of the way the brain normally makes sense of the world, although they are, of course, much more likely if you already hold religious or paranormal beliefs. Athletes and referees would do well to remember the role of the prediction machine during sports controversies. When a tennis player and an umpire quarrel over a point, it reflects a serious difference in the perceptual experience. One saw the ball inside the court, and the other saw it outside. Neither party is being stupid or dishonest, Their minds have simply constructed different simulations of the world around them, causing them to have radically different experiences of the event. For each person, the perception could have seemed just as real as the greenness of the grass or the blueness of the sky. A confident player, in particular, might be primed to see the ball landing in their favour and, without any conscious intention to deceive, that could sway their perception, a phenomenon that psychologists call wishful seeing. At the time of the airport attack, the police at Gatwick were keen to stress the credibility of their eyewitnesses, but the theory of the brain as a prediction machine suggests that there may be no such thing as a fully objective observer. As the neuroscientist Anil Seth puts it, we don't just passively perceive the world, we actively generate it. The world we experience comes as much, if not more, from the inside out as from the outside in. Our brain's expectations are intricately woven into everything we experience. The philosophical implications of this inherent subjectivity are profound enough, but, as we shall soon find out, the theory of the brain as a prediction machine also has immense consequences for our well-being, insights that go far beyond the emergence of uncanny visual illusions, and to see how, we need to meet a remarkable patient. I was blind, but now I see. A young woman I'll call Sarah was in her late teens when she woke up almost completely blind. Her vision had been deteriorating for six months. Now she saw just a faint glow around certain light sources. Everything else was darkness. Ophthalmologists could find nothing wrong with her eyes, though that knowledge did absolutely nothing to help her day-to-day well-being as she carefully counted each step and felt her way around furniture to navigate her home. After numerous examinations, Sarah was diagnosed with a functional neurological disorder, FND, a term describing a serious problem with the brain and nervous system's workings without any evidence of anatomical damage. Other examples include deafness, the loss of sensation or movement in the limbs, or an inability to feel pain all in otherwise physiologically healthy individuals. And they are not as rare as you might assume. Despite the relatively low public awareness, FNDs are in fact the second most common reason for someone to be referred to a neurologist after migraines and headaches. Sigmund Freud assumed that these symptoms were the consequence of repressed stress or trauma. Today, many neurologists believe that FNDs such as sara's may be a direct result of errors in the brain's predictions, which somehow dampen the normal processing of sensory signals to the point that they are no longer experienced. In Sarah's case, her brain was effectively pulling shutters over her eyes. She initially balked at the suggestion that her condition had psychogenic origins. It seemed a bizarre diagnosis when she had never previously experienced any psychiatric disorders and given that she was dealing with her newly developed blindness with remarkable resilience. But she was eventually referred to John Stone, a neurologist at the University of Edinburgh who specialises in FNDs. During their initial conversations, he discovered that, before losing her sight, Sarah had been experiencing chronic migraines, which seemed to be triggered by the light. This had led her to spend more and more time in a darkened room, until one morning... She woke up without any vision at all. Stone proposed that, with her increasing photophobia, fear of light, and the constant seeking of darkness, Sarah's brain had somehow become stuck on the idea that it couldn't see anything. And while that erroneous expectation may have arisen unconsciously, Stone hoped that it would be possible to correct the error through continued encouragement and discussion. To do so, he would point out whenever Sarah made eye contact with him or copied certain gestures evidence that, unconsciously, her brain was still able to process some visual information, and he encouraged her family to do the same at home. As further encouragement, Stone also employed a non-invasive form of brain stimulation, in which an electromagnetic coil placed on the scalp excites neurons underneath the skull. Amplifying the electrical activity in the visual cortex can provoke the sensation of bright flashes of light without any input through the eyes. The use of the stimulation, therefore, provided direct evidence that Sarah's brain was still capable of visual awareness and offered a reminder of what it felt like to see. It worked. After the first session of brain stimulation, Sarah reported being able to see the bright light of her phone screen more intensely. By the third, she began seeing coloured images for the first time since the onset of her blindness. Further progress was slow, but eight months after the treatment began, she woke up one morning to find her vision had made a full recovery. Remarkably, the chronic migraines had also ceased, and within two weeks, she was symptom-free and able to return to her previous lifestyle. Shrinking Fears Sarah's experience demonstrates the sheer power of the prediction machine and, equally importantly, It shows the possibility of correcting these grave errors. Thankfully, most of us will never endure such a powerful experience of the brain's failings. But there are many subtle ways that our perceptions are biased by less-than-healthy expectations every day of our lives, for good or bad. You could describe these as micro-illusions, small deviations in perception that will confirm and amplify what we are already feeling. To give a simple example from my own life, I recently experienced two attempted burglaries of my flat, during which intruders tried to force the lock on my front door while I was in bed. For months afterwards, my brain would transform any slight disturbance, day or night, into the sound of the door being opened. Even the starting of a printer in another room seemed to resemble the clicking of the lock, and I would rush to see if there was another intruder. That all came from the prediction machine's overzealous attempts to identify another threat. With time, and a change of my apartment's locks, I stopped hearing these phantom break-ins. But there is now strong evidence that many enduring anxieties and phobias are accompanied, and perhaps partly caused, by permanently distorted perceptions of potential dangers in the environment. People with a fear of heights, for instance, were asked to look over a 26-foot-high balcony and to guess the distance to the ground. On average, their estimates were about five feet larger than those of people without the sense of fear. Similarly, people with arachnophobia consistently see spiders as being much larger and faster than they actually are, and the greater their fears, the more pronounced the illusion. When it is lurking on the wall next to you, a regular house spider can begin to look a lot like a menacing tarantula. Warped perceptions resulting from biases in the brain's predictions, can also contribute to our social anxieties. When people feel shy, sad or nervous, they tend to see photos of neutral faces as looking more hostile compared with people who are in a calmer state of mind. To make matters worse, the conscious or unconscious expectation of rejection leads them to linger on the potentially unfriendly faces for longer while ignoring any friendly smiles. In one memorable experiment, psychologists tracked a group of university students' eye movements as they watched videos of adolescents during their school breaks. They found that someone's social success powerfully altered their experiences of the videos. People who already felt popular and liked in their own life tended to look at the people nodding, chatting and smiling, while the people experiencing isolation and loneliness barely noticed any signs of warmth. Instead they were much more likely to focus on expressions of unkindness or rejection. As the psychologist Mitch Prinstein notes, it was as if they had watched a completely different movie altogether, focusing far more intently on cues that were barely noticed by others at all. You may have experienced this yourself before a particularly difficult event like public speaking. Because of our fears, the audience can seem to be full of bored or judgmental faces. Or perhaps you simply wake up in a bad mood and notice that everyone on the train to work appears especially unfriendly that morning. These are temporary distortions. For many people, however, the expectation of hostility can become deeply embedded from a young age, with past rejections casting a long shadow over their entire social world, so that they never truly experience the expressions of friendliness around them. In each of these examples, the warped view of the world appears totally objective. Thanks to the interaction between our mood, the brain's predictions, and the real sensory inputs, an anxious or depressed person really is seeing the world as a much more threatening place, in just the same way that the witnesses at Gatwick saw the drones. And this biased processing can have real behavioural consequences, leading you to avoid the very situations that could help to realign the brain's predictions. If an escalator seems much higher than it really is, you are going to find it much harder to place your foot on the first step. And if every face around you appears to be frowning, you will be much less likely to strike up a conversation with someone sitting next to you. Fortunately, you can learn to neutralise these micro-illusions with training. Indeed, exposure therapy, in which people are encouraged to directly confront their fears, may work by recalibrating people's perceptions. In 2016, a team of German researchers asked arachnophobes to don a virtual reality helmet and wander through rooms containing lifelike representations of spiders with the simple goal, to stay calm and avoid running away from the threat. Not only did the participants' fears of real spiders fall over the course of the session, but their estimates of the spider's sizes also became far more realistic. You can also target the distorted perceptions directly using a technique known as cognitive bias modification. People with anxiety, for example, are given straightforward computer games in which they are presented with a series of facial expressions, illustrated, for example, as fairy sprites hiding in a mountain landscape. The participant's task is to quickly find the smiling, happy face while ignoring the more hostile expression. If you are interested in trying this yourself, you could consider downloading the personal Zen app which was developed by researchers at City University of New York and, at the time of writing, offers a free trial on most smartphones. The aim is to readjust the brain's visual processing so that it no longer accentuates the threatening information in a scene. And many patients report significant benefits from this treatment. Even a single session of a program like Personal Zen seems to bring about short-term changes in people's feelings and behavior, improving, for instance, their performance at public speaking, while more regular training leads to longer-lasting benefits. The simple recognition of the brain's inherent subjectivity has helped me to cope with dips in my mood. When I feel especially anxious or depressed, and the world around me seems to confirm my fears, I try to account for the fact that my emotions and the expectations that accompany them might have biased my perception. Given that negative expectations can also bias our attention, I also make more of an effort to look for actual, unambiguous acts of friendliness, essentially replicating the bias-modification games in a real-life city. Needless to say, this strategy is no panacea for serious mental illness, but I find that it often stops me from falling into the spiral of negative thinking that would once have exacerbated and prolonged my low mood. It is just one example of how, Once we understand the power of expectation, we can recalibrate our predictions to experience a healthier and happier view of the world. Taste is in the mouth of the beholder. The power of expectation is particularly well known in the world of gastronomy, where marketers and chefs have long harnessed the prediction machine to increase people's enjoyment of their dishes. In one of the earliest experiments into top-down effects on taste, From the 1960s, two American scientists looked into people's perceptions of astronauts' meals, such as a chocolate-flavored health shake filled with protein, carbs, and vitamins. Without knowing the origins of the drink, people tended to find the taste rather unappetizing, a poor comparison to typical chocolate milk. When the drink was explicitly labeled space food, however, the public's appreciation dramatically increased. The exotic name, Associated, as it was, with cutting-edge science, raised expectations and, as a result, acted as a powerful flavour enhancer. We now know that this would have been the direct result of their top-down processing, changing the flavour according to their expectations. More recently, researchers at MIT approached drinkers in two of the university's iconic pubs, the Muddy Charles and the Thirsty Ear, for a simple taste test. Those who agreed were given a sample of a regular beer, either Budweiser or Samuel Adams, and the unfamiliar MIT brew. Like the space food, the MIT brew sounded cutting-edge and exciting, as if it were prepared with advanced technology. Unbeknown to the drinkers, however, it was identical to the regular brands, except the scientists had added a few drops of balsamic vinegar to each glass. The idea of beer laced with vinegar may not initially sound appetising, but the pubgoers loved the concoction, with around 60% reporting a strong preference for MIT brew over the other drink. Knowledge of the vinegar did not change that preference, provided it was given after the tasting. This was not the case, however, if they were told about the nature of the secret ingredient before they had tasted it. Then, only around 30% appreciated its unique mix of flavours Over the other sample. The effect of their expectation on the experience of the beer's flavor was enough to halve MIT Brew's popularity. You may have experienced something very similar yourself when you have tasted an expensive bottle of wine. Thanks to altered expectations of quality, knowledge of a higher price tag can result in a marked improvement in flavor, irrespective of the actual drink. Changes in appearance can have similar effects when scientists coloured white wine red, participants noted much richer notes in its taste, the traces of prune, chocolate or tobacco that are typically associated with real red wines. And the power of expectations is so strong that even wine experts fall for this gustatory illusion. The effects of our preconceptions are evident in scans of the brain's responses to the foods. When participants were given the basic umami-flavouring MSG For instance, alongside a single sentence detailing its rich and delicious taste, they showed greater activity in the regions processing gustatory pleasure than those told that they were receiving monosodium glutamate or boiled vegetable water. Sometimes, the exact same substance can evoke intense pleasure or outright disgust, depending on someone's expectations. A mixture of isovaleric and butyric acid, for example, creates a slightly acrid odour that can be found in two familiar substances, parmesan cheese and vomit. But your brain will process the same aroma very differently, depending on how it is labelled, leading us to either salivate or retch. These perceptual expectation effects are not really so different from the unscrambling of figure 1 and 2a. In each case, the labels are helping to make sense of ambiguous signals that could be interpreted in multiple ways. Given these findings, it's little wonder that people's tastes in food vary so much. Depending on their expectations and associations, they may be experiencing completely different things. If you are trying a new food for the first time, you might apply these findings yourself by reading up on the meal beforehand. By knowing why others enjoy the dish, you'll be priming your brain to make sense of the gustatory signals so that you can more fully appreciate the unfamiliar combination of flavours. This will be especially important if you're travelling and the food is far outside your usual comfort zone. The famously pungent durian, for example, will be far less off-putting if you have been guided to recognise the overtones of hazelnut, apricot, caramelised banana and egg custard described by some connoisseurs, rather than the usual comparisons to rotting flesh. You can use the same principles when you host a dinner party. You may not be able to turn water into wine through thought or prayer, but the way you describe your food will strongly influence the ways that you and your guests appreciate it. So be sure to season your dishes with some delicious words as you serve. That verbal garnish may be as important as the actual physical ingredients. We'll discover the implications of our expectations for digestion and metabolism and the prospect of weight loss in Chapter 6. Supercharged Senses By harnessing the prediction machine, we may even be able to sharpen the overall acuity of our eyes and ears, allowing us to see and hear in high definition. If that seems far-fetched, just consider how the branding of sunglasses or headphones can affect people's visual and auditory abilities. In the early 2010s, a team of Israeli and American researchers asked participants to wear a pair of shades and to then read off 84 words under the glare of a bright light. Everyone had a pair of the same quality. But the people who had been told they were wearing Ray-Ban sunglasses made around half as many mistakes as those who were told their shades came from a mid-market brand and completed the task more quickly, in around 60% of the time. Strikingly, the researchers found exactly the same result in an equivalent audio task using noise-cancelling headgear. People who believed they were wearing a more prestigious brand, 3M, were better able to hear a list of words above construction noise, compared with participants who thought they'd been given a lower-quality product, when everyone, in fact, had the same gear. In both experiments, the participants' trust in the allegedly high-quality products had led them to believe they would benefit from heightened perception of the relevant sights and sounds, and that was what they experienced, even though there was no actual difference in the technology. The expectation that they could see or hear better than if they used another brand had apparently altered the brain's visual and auditory processing, leading it to work harder to build richer and more accurate simulations from the information hitting the eyes and ears. The discovery echoes a study by Ellen Langer at Harvard University, which found that people's beliefs can have a striking effect on their long-distance vision. The participants were cadets from MIT's Reserve Officers Training Corps, They first took a standard eye test, offering a baseline for their sight, before entering a flight simulator. Despite it being a computer simulation, they were asked to treat the exercise as seriously as possible, to imagine themselves in a real cockpit, and to react in the same ways as a real pilot. During the subsequent game, four planes approached from the front, and the cadets were asked to read the serial numbers written on their wings. Unknown to the cadets, This was another hidden sight test. The size of the numbers on the plane wings were equivalent to the lowest four lines on a standard eye chart. Langer suspected that the cadets would associate the experience of piloting a plane with having exceptional eyesight and that this, in turn, would improve the acuity of their vision during the simulation, and that was exactly what she found. Overall, 40% of the group could correctly read smaller text on the sides of the plane wings, than they had been able to perceive in the standard eye-chart. A control group, who had not been through a full-flight simulation but were simply presented with static images of the numbers on the wings, showed no improvement at all. To confirm the effect, Langer conducted a second experiment, in which she asked participants to perform some star jumps, an energetic exercise that, she said, might improve their sight. Although the movements are unlikely to have changed the optics of the eye over such a short period, these participants once again performed better on a subsequent test of visual acuity, thanks to the belief that athletes have clearer vision. For a final confirmation, Langer simply reversed the order of the eye chart, with the smaller letters at the top and the bigger letters at the bottom she found that the participants were able to read smaller letters than they had been able to on the standard chart, apparently because they had built up the belief, throughout years of previous examinations, that it is easier to read lines that are placed higher. In each of Langer's experiments, the expectation of better vision boosted the brain's visual processing, leading it to sharpen the slightly blurred images of the letters on the retina. Strikingly, Many of these people already had good vision. They were boosting their sight beyond 20-20. But even those with poorer eyesight showed significant improvements. Don't throw out your spectacles or contact lenses just yet. Such mental shifts almost certainly can't make up for a serious optical deficiency. Short-sightedness is typically caused by a misshapen eyeball, and there is no evidence that this apparently permanent anatomical change is the product of our mind. But Langer's results suggest that the adoption of certain expectations could at least improve your vision with the lenses you currently wear, ensuring that you see the world as sharply as possible. Throughout this book, we will find that we are often poor judges of our own abilities, and that it is possible to push the limits of what we can achieve through a simple change of mindset. Multiple Realities In her autobiographical novel, Seduction of the Minotaur, Anais Nin beautifully describes the mismatched perceptions of the protagonist, Lillian, and the painter, Jay. Lillian was bewildered by the enormous discrepancy which existed between Jay's models and what he painted, we are told. Together they would walk along the same Seine River. She would see it silky grey, sinuous and glittering. He would draw it opaque with fermented mud and a shoal of wine-bottle corks and weeds caught in the stagnant edges. Jay, Nin writes, was a realist, intent on portraying the world as objectively as possible. But was his perception actually any more realistic than Lillian's? We do not see things as they are, we see them as we are, Lillian concludes, in one of Nin's best-known lines. Our new understanding of the prediction machine reveals the profound truth in this statement across the breadth of human experience. At the most extreme, expectations can shut down vision completely, as we saw with a patient like Sarah. At other times, they will create the perception of something that is not there, and on a day-to-day basis our preconceptions will alter what is already in front of us, transforming the taste of a food, the emotion written on a face or the sight of the sin. These subtle expectation effects may be less dramatic than extreme hallucinations, but, as we have seen, their consequences can be substantial, creating either vicious or virtuous cycles out of our daily lives. To build on Nin's observations, what we feel and think will determine what we experience, which will, in turn, influence what we feel and what we think, in a never-ending cycle. This knowledge will be essential as we turn inwards to explore the influence of expectations on our physical health in the following chapters. The prediction machine receives many inputs from inside the body, including the nociceptor nerves that respond to damage, or the possibility of damage, to our organs and contribute to the sensation of pain. Our expectations will influence the processing of those signals, it can tune them up or down, in just the same way that expectations change our experiences of sight, sound, smell, taste and physical touch. Sometimes, faulty predictions might even create the illusion of pain out of nothing at all, or they might lead the agony of a real physical wound to vanish. Even more mysteriously, however, the brain simulations can also produce measurable physiological changes. As we shall see, Our subjective expectations can become our body's objective reality thanks to the awesome power of the prediction machine. How to think about the sensual world Question your own objectivity as an eyewitness. The brain simulations of the world around you are often right, but sometimes they are wrong and the humble knowledge of this fact could help you to recognize illusions when they occur. If you have a phobia, remember that your brain may exaggerate the threat, so it seems physically bigger and scarier than it really is. Exposure therapy may help you to shrink this perceptual bias. If you have anxiety, consider downloading an app, such as Personal Zen, that aims to reconfigure your attention with regard to threats in your environment. Whenever you are having a bad day, try to consider the ways your mood and the resulting expectations could have biased your view of events. Some situations are unquestionably bad, while other events are more susceptible to expectation effects. Learning to separate the two could prevent you from descending into overly negative thinking. Boost your enjoyment of sensory experiences such as meals with the power of language. The way we label foods affects their taste. So think of, or look for, sumptuous descriptions of the dishes that you are serving to yourself and your guests.